if it wasn't very tough, you wouldn't win because I'm quite good at tough. So you need it to be. I say to myself, as much as I'd be frightened of the pain that's coming, but I wanted it hot, headwind, tough. Because then I'm, because I was, I'm small and I'm strong for my weight, I know I'm going to burrow up those hills better than the other guys and I'm probably going to handle the dehydration better. And so a cold, cool year um, might mean great, you could get a record, but it also might mean that people are not going to suffer enough. It sounds like I'm a, <laughs> a sadist, but you need, I needed those tough conditions to do well. Yeah, what, what I love about it is that you started off straight away with the ladies' race. And I think you're chatting to me because a huge change in the comrades is that um, the ladies' race for many, for a few years was kind of like an afterthought. And I'm not being sexist, but it just was. But first of all, in my early days, there were only about four ladies running. You know, um, their athletic performances were admirable, but they weren't world-class. Hi, welcome to the High Performance Athlete Podcast, the show designed to help you compete at your highest potential. My name is Mike Roscoe, the owner of SBR Sport. Over the years, I've worked with both runners and triathletes, from Comrades Gold medalists to podium level triathletes. I'm looking forward to having you on this journey with me, where we're going to speak to a lineup of experts, doctors, sports psychologists, professional athletes, and other thought leaders who will give you the tools and mindset needed to perform on a whole new level. Make sure you've subscribed to this podcast to catch all new episodes and share it with your friends and training partners. All right, welcome to the High Performance Athlete Podcast. Uh, and we've got the incredible privilege of being with Bruce Fordyce. Uh, we're at the Parkrun offices. And um, so, Bruce, welcome. Uh, I don't think, Bruce, we don't even have to announce his CV, but for, for those of you who, who kind of don't know what it is, uh, nine times winner of the Comrades Marathon, London to Brighton, three times winner, world 50-mile record holder, 100-kilometer record holder. I think one of the London to Brighton races you missed, I think you had a, a tummy bag, am I right? Uh, thanks, Mike, uh, for uh, that introduction. Um, no, 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 I ran three Brightons. Oh, okay. Never had a problem at Never Brighton. had an issue there. No. Okay. <laughs> and then eight of the comrades' wins were in a row, and then there was a one-year gap, and then the… Yeah, so there was a one-year gap because we put on a World 100K Challenge, so like a world championship. Yes. Because in, the, in those days, in the late 80s, we'd been boasting to the world that we were the best ultra runners in the world but they said we'll prove it um and yes you you guys are run comrades brilliantly but come and do run a standard distance 100 k's yes and let's see who, how you are there and so we put that race on and the result of that was that i it was in february um 1989 and there was absolutely no way that i would run that and recover in time for comrades so yes. i didn't run that year's comrades okay and then one of the comrades run with Zolabad as well? Uh, the last one that I ran. So I've run 30. I mean, you know, I've done some fairly quick comrades, but I've also yeah. done some very slow ones with mates and, and yes. had just as much enjoyment. And that one was uh, 2012 was the last one that I ran. So that was 
30 for me, and it, but it was Zola's first. Yes. And that was as memorable as winning. Yes. Because I have to tell you, you finish a race with Zola Bud and listen to the reception you get. Um, she is loved and, uh, and respected in it. So it was almost the same as winning, finishing Comrades with Zola. Yeah. Crazy. I remember chatting to her years ago and she said that she was going to do Comrades because everyone that she met would disregard the fact that she had broken the world record in 5,000 meters and just simply say, but have you run Comrades? <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, it's a burden for some long distance runners. I mean, it, 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 the risk of being ridiculous, Josiah Tugwani, I mean, Olympic gold medalist in the marathon. Yes. I think the average South African would say, yeah, but uh, have you won comrades? <laughs> <laughs> Whereas an Olympic gold medal in the marathon is as high as you can get in terms of achievement. I actually wanted to bring Josiah up because I remember hearing you in an interview going, you would trade all of your, all of your comrades' wins for Josiah's Olympic gold medal. Is that right? Maybe not every single one. Okay. <laughs> Eight of them. Um, yeah, I mean, it's the ultimate. I think it's the ultimate uh, achievement, men's or women's. It, I mean, it goes right back to the beginnings of uh, Greek history. Yes. Um, and I, yeah, I think it's a kind of sums up the Olympic Games. Um, I wouldn't want to win it like Josiah did with his four seconds or whatever he had. Yes, I, yes. I'd like a nice, cushy two-minute lead. <laughs> Where you can, uh, where you run the last lap of the stadium, where you can blow lots of kisses and wave and air punch instead of yeah, kind of looking behind your shoulder, soak up the fact that you're about to be an Olympic champion. Um, but yeah, I think people have to concede that that is the the, the epitome, yeah, the, the height. Epitome, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. We've had some amazing runners, Mark Plikes come through the the ranks in South Africa over the years. Yeah, I mean, I remember. Mark still reminds me that I passed him in a race called the City to City. Okay. Uh, and that would have been in the early 80s. And, and uh, when I went past him, I made some disparaging remark about people who start races too quickly and then pay the price later on. And he went on to be world champion. 1993, yes. he won in Stuttgart. So that's also, I mean, I think if you had to say to me, you, you know, the top achievements, well, Olympics. Yes. Next tier down and only a little bit further down as world champion yes i mean that was like what was that like a 208 and something uh no 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 it was hot it was a hot day oh, i think okay. he won in 213 uh something like that um but mark came out to south africa he, you know he'd become an american citizen by then but he came yes. out to south africa to train on our favorite hill that is called swear that goes up through the old Khodstad teachers training college to the base of the Brixton Tower. Yes. And that was one of my favorite sessions. And we ran sprint repetitions up and down. Well, you jog down to recover, and then you sprint up, and you jog down, sprint up. And I always knew that I was in very good shape if I could do between five and eight repetitions in under one minute, 20 seconds. Okay. And I was running 118, 119 that day, and Mark was running 113, 114 wow. ahead of me. And I said to Mark, oh, you're in, you're in good shape. Yes. And he won, yeah. Um, but it was a tactical race. He, uh, I think it was very hot. Oh, and he okay. hung back and he came through at the end and won it. Because he had his best time. It was like a 2.08. Oh, yeah, his best time was a 2.08. In, in Port Elizabeth, I watched him run that. I was, the, I was injured. I think 1984, 1983, sometime like that. I was injured. And they brought me down to the SA Champs because the sponsors wanted me to be there. So I handed out the prizes at prize giving. <laughs> but I, I had the privilege of traveling in the, 
in the lead vehicle and watching somebody running 2.8. It's, it's huh? quick. Yeah. And especially back then, I mean, that would back be probably was, the, be the equivalent of, of chasing a, a 2.03, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. Back then, 2.08 was world class. I mean, was world, world class, class yeah. yeah. You, um, you ran two of your comrades' marathons in exactly the same time. Looking back at comrades, have you got one of the comrades that was your favorite where kind of everything went according to plan? Okay, so the two that were, I mean, that's the ultimate <coughs> fluke, really, running two in exactly <laughs> the same time, two, 5.37.01. I think there's somebody else who's done it, um, but not somebody else who's done it and won with both those yes, times. Yes. So that, uh, you can't stage manage that. I mean, it's no, you can't do that. just you cross the line and I couldn't believe it. I thought exactly it's kind of like to winning the second, the, exactly the same time. It's like winning um, the lotter. I mean, it's just. Yeah. And both in the same direction. I think it's what's the ultimate groundhog day or whatever they call it. Um, and then a favorite comrades. I've answered that before. It's very hard to have a favorite comrades because I would imagine, to me, it's a little bit like being a mother with nine children. Okay. Who's your favorite <laughs> child? Well, there's the naughty one, the sweet one, the good one, the brilliant one, the bad one. Yeah. But they, you love them all, you know, so they're all part of my heart. Um, if I had to say, to, uh, tactically, a race that I didn't make a single mistake was 1986. Got it exactly right. And then strength-wise... Where if you'd said to me you've got to go you've got to run another ten k sorry we've changed the distance it was probably nineteen eighty three and nineteen eighty eight were both upruns I was very strong at the end Is so if you'd a- said to me Bruce you've got to do ten laps of the stadium at the finish I would said don't want to but okay but I'm strong <laughs> enough to do I that I can do it yeah wow that's amazing did did you have a mantra or something like that for those dark patches or how, how did you go through those because there's always going to be a tough moment. Yeah, you know, the, t- the tough bits, the, the problem is I always equate winning a Comrades Marathon to, to writing a very hard exam. You are so focused and so concentrated. It's the only time in my life that I, afterwards that I could watch one of those mind-bogglingly dull soap operas <laughs> because my, front, my, my brain is so lobotomized afterwards. You are so drained. Yes. But... Um, Bad patches are either. I think what I used to say to myself is if I'm suffering, so are the others. Yes. You know, so this is it. And if, if it wasn't very tough, you wouldn't win because I'm quite good at tough. So you need it to be. I used to say to myself, as much as I'd be frightened of the pain that's coming, but I wanted it hot, headwind, tough. Because okay. then I'm, because I was, I'm small and I'm strong for my weight, I know I'm going to burrow up those hills better than the other guys and I'm probably going to handle the dehydration better. Yes. And so a cold, cool year um, might mean great. You could get a record, but it also might mean that people are not going to suffer enough. It sounds like I'm a, <laughs> a sadist, sure. but you need, I needed those tough conditions to do well. So it's almost like a race of attrition then. You, you're yeah, waiting the, for other guys to the get… The 100K race that we had um, in Stellenbosch was mind-bogglingly hot. Mm. The first four guys, we were all on a, on a trip in the hospital tent afterwards. Yes. But it suited me. Yes. I mean, I still took a lot of strain and uh, landed up on the drip as well, but it gave me those five, a five-minute lead, you know, that I needed. 
to hold on to yeah, that. Yeah, to hold on. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, pacing strategy, did you, I mean, you didn't run on heart rate in those days? Oh, no. So, so no, I think a heart rate monitor is a great aid. Mm. But the, the what I believe is that the training and the preparation for any great event is a science. And you follow the rules and you monitor yourself and you write, you keep a diary and, may, you know, I handwrite my, my diary, but people who, you know, they've got all their stuff on the computer and you check everything that's going on. Yes. But the race is an art. It's a very different, there's not a science. The race is an art. How hot is it? What's happening in the tactics? Is there a headwind? How do I feel? Is it, you can't, you, you can have a race schedule, but the only time I've seen a, really seen a race schedule work is Elliot Kipchoge yeah. on target for a sub two hour. That he had to, but everything else, when you're racing other people, it's an art. So I, my tactic was the same all the time. I'm a natural coward and I start slowly. Yes. 90 kilometers of hills and you're going to go flying out at the start. You're going to burn up it quickly. It never, ever works. Yeah. And yet every single year, there's somebody who truly believes that they can hold that pace. Three minutes, 10 a K for 90 Ks and off they go. It's called the television runners. You know? yes, and they're right. on television for the first 25 Ks. Yeah. And, and then they I don't brilliant. know what the and last then... 70 are like for them. The last 65, no idea. It must be hell. Yeah. 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 Well, they drop out quite often or walk. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. All right. So, so the, the, the science of training, on your website, you've got, a number, you, you've got your diary entries. I mean, yeah. you, you, you've really recorded every run. and, and <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and so what I've done is taken my training diaries. Like if, for some reason, from the very first day I ran, I wrote it all down. Now that was at Witz Run? Uh, Witz, 10 minutes around the Witz Rugby Fields. That yes. was my first run at night. In, on June 18th, two days after June 16, 1976. And I wrote down everything. And so I'm, I'm busy writing a book, and I've almost finished, um, in which I put down everything that I did. Uh, but now, alongside it, explanations and, and notes. For instance, this was a, not a good idea, yes. you know, or this was a brilliant idea. Now, look at this time. You can see I'm, I'm running the, the club time trial, and look – my time has suddenly come down by a minute, which means I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting fitter and fitter. Yes. You'll notice this is a bad run. Why? Because I've got a classic hangover. <laughs> Why? Because I'm a vitsy and we went huge the night before. <laughs> you know, so I write all, I've got everything. In fact, funny enough, I've just got hold of an ex-girlfriend of mine and sent her a message to say, you're in my book. I hope you're comfortable with that. And I got a lovely message back where she just said, I'd be honored to be in your book. But I just had to check because some of my runs were from university residence to, go, to my girlfriend's house. Yes. You know, so I, I had to put it in because it becomes too clumsy to say my girlfriend, my girlfriend or whatever. I had to put my run. So, yeah, I had to get permission that she's not – you know, she's, she's married to somebody else and <laughs> I am too. So, no, she just said she that's, – that's fine. But – so that's going to come out. I'm going to try and get it out September, October, oh, you know, for Christmas. And I, if I were a novice, and w when I was a novice at that time, my hero was Alan Robb, yes. who at that stage had won one. Actually, it's quite strange to think he'd only won one because he won four. But if he had bought out a book on what to do for your first comrades, I would have bought that straight away. I mean, straight um, so I think I've got a captive 
readership. Absolutely. Um, that they will, and, and yeah, and so I point out in the beginning that uh, because I'm, I chose my parents correctly because I'm genetically suited. My first run was a 6:45, so people are not going to run a 6:45, but you can still learn the. Well, a lot of people are not going to run that, but they can still yeah. learn the lessons and see the mistakes that I made. And I've got it all down. I've got the politics of the time, the music of the time, yes. what we wore, what yes. I felt like the night before. The only thing I haven't indulged, self-indulged too much is the actual race itself because that can be very boring. People always want to write a book about their run and it's hour after hour of how of it went. went through. I haven't done that. I've condensed it into a short thing about what happens but what you can expect to happen and i think it'll sell and i think it'll continue to for quite a few years you Absolutely. know yeah oh. so it's interesting because over the years you've always said you want to get to the the, the start line of comrades not overcooked you you know and and yet you yeah. see so many athletes that just the coaches push them so hard they're burnt out tired injured yeah quite often athletes get saved by injury Yes. Because it stops them, and, and in my own case, it stops them overdoing it. Yes. You know, I mentioned earlier that one of my strongest runs was 1983. I was so strong. I flew up Polly Shorts. I couldn't actually believe how strong I was at the end. But for a good month, right in the critical stage of training, I had a, a hamstring niggle that was painful enough to be irritating, mm. but not painful enough to stop me, but it slowed me. Yes. It made me run a lot of my runs, my speed work and stuff like that. I was having to run quite a bit slower so that I didn't damage it more. And I thought I was doomed because yes. of that. I thought, ah, oh, you've missed out on critical training. Actually, I was so strong. So that's also a message that we, yeah, we overdo it. And the best way to start comrades is to start slightly overweight and slightly undertrained yes. because you've got 90 kilometers of hills. It's Mind-boggling. It, it is a brutal race. <laughs> it's yeah. a, and it's going to hurt and, and it's going to yeah. pass. And you don't want to have heavy dead legs right in the beginning. But if you're just running a simple 5K or a 10K, well, you can train through that. Yes. Go into it tired. You'll still, you'll still run a great time. Yeah. But you can't do that at Comrades. I was listening yesterday to a short snippet of an interview with Mark Allen. And um, when Phil Maffetone started to, to coach him because he was trying for the, the Ironman, Ironman wins yeah. and every time messed up and suddenly Maffetone had him on this kind of base, low heart rate, easy training and it, it revolutionized his running career or his triathlon career. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right, so get to the start. For interesting what you say, your book coming out, uh, people listening to this Let's say comrades person who's wanting to do between 10 and 12 hours, which is when the majority of the field comes home. Um, where, where should they be coming toward the end of, of 2020? What, what, what are they looking at? Uh, I think they should be where I was, which is running has now become a part of your week. Yeah. You know, um, uh, you are running consistently and regularly. Um, you have become addicted so that. It's not a burden to get out there and run, yes. but you are holding yourself back because it's not the critical time. And you, can, you, you cannot believe how people go ballistic for this race at completely the wrong time. Yes. The critical time for comrades, especially if it's a comrades in June, is the end of February, beginning of March, yes. March, April, May, then a taper to the race. 
That's it. Which doesn't mean you come off at zero base. It doesn't mean you don't run. So you need the base and you need to be there and you need to be running. But no focus yet. No, Obviously, from the first day I started running, I was running the next year's comrades. So it was uppermost in my mind all the time. But I, by chance, got things right. I allowed, accidentally, my social life to interfere. Mm. I allowed, at the end of the year, my exams during exams in November at Wits University, that was it. I ran a bit, you know, but it, that knocked a huge hole in, but in my training. Yes. But exams, I had to pass my degree. So those are the things. And then, you, and then you slowly build up. And you might have wanted to try by the end of the year a couple of longer runs, like a half marathon and that kind of thing. But you don't have to get concerned about qualifying. And you're not yet, you yes. know. And, and you... The key is, the key training for comrades, if you're in South Africa, is that it's a winter pursuit. You need to be training in the dark. You need to see autumn leaves blowing in the streets. Now we're talking comrades time. Putting suntan oil on while you're on holiday in Plet and running long distances, not comrades time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's how I see it. And I think as well, mentally, to focus on something for years is, is too much. The wonderful Afrikaans word "chutful." By the time you get just at the time when you're supposed to be now focused, yes. you've actually had enough of it, and you're bored, and you're probably are harboring a couple of injuries, and it, and this race is just getting no nearer because you know all the marathons, the qualifying things are all in January, February, and comrades is in June. It's like Pluto's outer moon. It's so far away, and it just takes it forever to get there. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so, so really at, at this stage, uh, focus on running and, and, and make it fun. And make yeah. it fun, but make it regular, that's the thing. Yes. And mix it up a bit, a bit of faster stuff, do the club time trial, go and do a shorter race, uh, and then every now and again throw in a bit of a longer one, but nothing hysterical, you know, yes, yes. not 50Ks and 70. You see, the problem is that, there's a, there's a, that runners are not scared of hard work. Yes. They're not hard, scared. What they are scared of is not running. So what happens is there's a belief that success goes to the person who trains the hardest. So if I can just find out what Bruce did and add 5%, uh, I yeah. will be faster than him. Yeah. But it isn't. Success goes to the person who trains the cleverest. Yes. And the cleverest is knowing when to work hard and when to back off. And knowing I'm overtrained, or I'm not, or I need this session, it's I call it I call it athletic intelligence, yeah. and it's sadly missing in a lot of athletes. Funny enough, yeah, and that ability to listen to your body, listen to your body. So we didn't have coaches in my day. I'm so I'm t- entirely self-coached, mm. and I can understand the role of the coach now because they're the intelligence. Mm. Because they some of these athletes that they have will run themselves into the ground if left to their own devices. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's some runners where you've got to kind of… You've actually got to rein them in. You rein them in. And, and then tell them when to go, when it's time to go. I mean, I'm, I don't want people to start thinking that you, know, you can be as lazy. as You obviously have to work hard, but it's when to work hard. Yes, yes. I, I think what you're saying as well is listening to your body gives an athlete longevity. And I think we, we've seen so many athletes that have been amazing athletes, but they, they've burnt themselves out after a year or two, three, was you've had this, this amazingly long running career. Yeah, I didn't. Um, what I didn't do is race excessively. 
uh, at yeah. ultras. So uh, maybe one or two a year. And then in the end, only one a year. So I, in the beginning, I used to double up with a Comrades and maybe a London to Brighton. Uh, and then in the end, it was just Comrades, you know, because I felt it was too much. But remember, I was also uh, running a couple of ordinary standard marathons as well quite fast during yes. the year. So it was probably too much anyway. And you had an amazing time on track as well. I mean, you, you were getting some phenomenal so, track w- times. So one of the things that, that my great fear was was never another comrades runner, a pure comrades runner. Mm. Now, my fear was somebody who's quicker than me over the short stuff because, in my opinion, quality most times will overcome quantity and strength. Uh, it, it doesn't quite apply to comrades but because some very, very fast people have come to comrades and come short. But yes. I was still always worried about that. So what I did in my off-season, by off-season I mean from June until December, January, was race as many short-distance races as I could just to keep my speed up. And then I would go and run, literally go to the old Rao Johannesburg University track and run on a Friday night, run a B-League uh, meeting. Yes. Where early on in the meeting, at the beginning of the meeting, we were, might run, even occasionally run an 800-meter and come last, you know, get yeah, absolutely yeah. <laughs> smashed, but getting as close to two minutes as I could. And then at the end of the meeting, maybe run the 3,000 meter, you know, so that, so that you, uh, I was working on my speed a lot. Yes. And then I would run, I ran a lot of 5,000 meter. I thought 5,000 meters were a very good distance. I think somehow, other, I mean, I'll, maybe we'll chat about park run later, but I think 5Ks is a magic distance. It somehow is the distance. Uh, and so I enjoyed. I mean, they were hard. They were tough. Running a 5,000-meter race, occasional 15. I did a couple of 10,000. 10,000 on the track goes on and on and yeah, on. That's, that's a, tough, a long time. That's too. a 20 <laughs> to 28 laps of the track. It's mind-boggling. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and I enjoyed those. And, they, and it did give me a feeling that if I ever had to be in the last kilometer of a comrades with a traditional comrades runner, He's got no chance because I'm going to push him in front of me until we turn onto the track, and then I'm going to change gear twice because I've got that because ability got that from my track work. Leg speed, yes. And I'm going to drop him for dead in the last – I mean, that sounds arrogant, and I don't mean it like that, but I just kind of knew if it ever did come to that, I've got you. You've had Unless that. Unless it's yeah. a fast guy, you see, and then I'm in trouble. Yes. You see, so then I'm going to try and get rid of the fast guy on a hill – before we get to the end. So create a little bit of a gap. Yeah, so that I've got yeah. a gap. So I, I, and, and, and just generally, if you improve your speed, it improves your cruising speed as well. So if you can run, you know, for argument's sake, a 5,000 meter at altitude at three minutes a K, it makes three and a half minutes a K in comrades relatively comfortable. Yes, yeah. yes, got it. When you started Comrades, I mean, the, the field was, you had like less than 2,000 people entering, and now today you've, you've got in, in excess of 20,000 people. Um, I, I'll tell you how I want to phrase this. So, and then at the same time, you, you brought Parkrun into the country, um, and Parkrun has just taken off like crazy. Uh, where do you think you had the most impact? Do you think you've... Uh, inspired more runners through the comrades victories to take up running or through the park run initiative yeah, yeah so so comrades my first one 
1977, I think there were 1,600 runners. Yes. Um, and it was not, it wasn't maybe me alone, but I, I th- it definitely helped that from then on there was television coverage. Yes. And they went, um, the, in, the first one I ever watched was the 1976 run, which I didn't run. I saw it, it they used to show it a month later, like a half an hour version of the race. Um, but then uh, in 1983, they filmed the race from about halfway. And then from 84 onwards, SABC covered the entire race. Yes. Uh, and that, I think, is the critical thing, is the television coverage. But then the race was graced by some wonderful characters. So if you think of Frith van der Merwe, yes. I think Wally Hayward running it at the age of 80 and in 1988. An amazing yeah, time yeah. as well. And then, and then the final cutoff gun, you know, that dramatic moment when it's televised where you see ordinary people finishing yeah um so that the race grew exponentially from then i mean i think very rapidly i i was probably running when i was winning eight thousand people up to about ten thousand and then it just from then on it just grew uh, and grew and grew and then as far as parkrun is concerned i think we have we've created a lot uh, two different parts of parkrun a lot of people who just want to run parkrun and love it and that's their that's their highlight of their week for them yes. but then a lot of people who have run parkrun and then graduated and gone on to become serious runners join clubs and run marathons and stuff like that um if you had to say to me how would i think i influence i think maybe my wins in the 1980s would have inspired quite a lot of people to run a generation yeah. yeah but i always say that's my selfish time you know that that's about me and you know running to win is very selfish i can promise you in the last month my family would tell you or my friends before i had a family <laughs> would tell you i'm a prima donna you know <laughs> shouting and screaming and everything's got to go my way otherwise i get stressed um and so that's probably selfish stuff achievements for myself and if i inspired people that's great but parkrun for me is legacy stuff yes. because that is where I want to really be remembered because that we can make a massive difference to millions of people and not just in South Africa, right through Africa because we're moving up. And I'm, I get excited you know, every day thinking that we started with 26 people came to the first parkrun in November 2011. Um, and now we are 1.2 million registered members. It's just insane. And every uh, 230 different events yes. with a queue of events waiting to start. Uh, we're in Eswatini. We're in Namibia starting to go wild. And, you know, once the politics of Zimbabwe settle down a little bit, we'll be in Zimbabwe. Mauritius is screaming at us. Zambia is screaming at us. Tanzania is screaming at us. Uganda, you know, so once we go out there, that I, if there's a reason for me not to die, I just want to be alive. To watch what to can see happen Africa, with parkrun. Oh. Just a parkrun continent. And, and that I started it with friends and family, who would, for me, would just be, wow. You know, that, mm. that gives me... I, I want to tell the politicians and the, and the rich people, you don't understand what wealth is. Wealth is being content with what you do happy with what you do having your 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 health and knowing that you're helping your fellow human being is just you can't buy that there's yeah. no amount of money yeah 
bad luck guys, go and steal as much money as you like. Yeah. You're never going to feel happy. Uh, the tens of yeah. millions in the bank yeah, no, no, don't no, equal no, no. happiness. No. It's, it's that sense of purpose and no, achievement. And and I mean, I'm a spoilt AB a, a, income group person, you know, <laughs> so I can say that I've got a car and a house and, you know, and I never worry about food on the table. But that to me is the most important thing. That And you cannot replace the experience of being at a park run and a total stranger walks up to you and hugs you and says, thank you for park run. You've changed my life. It's like, wow, oh, that is amazing. And it, it does. I, yeah. I had a woman come through our doors and she was like really, really overweight and couldn't run back problems. And we got her into the right pair of running shoes and slowly developed her. I remember before her first park run, she messaged me two nights before to go, Mike, there's no way I can do this. This is five kilometers. Yeah. And I, I said to her, but hang on, we've had you running up to four Ks. And she said, yeah, but that's four Ks. I've yeah. got another K. Okay. And I said, I don't care if you scoot on your, on your behind. I don't care if you leopard crawl. I don't care if you, you, you get dragged across, but you'll do it. And, you know, I, I got a message a little while later. I did it. And, and that for her started a complete running career. Yeah, look, I mean, I think the, the key, the thing we're trying to do, and, and um, we're trying to take the fear out of parkrun. And so, in fact, we should have called it parkrun slash parkwalk. The fact that you can mm. walk the whole way. You will never be lost because we have a tail walker at the back okay. who's there for two reasons. One, so that you can never be lost. But secondly, just for safety in case yes. somebody's in trouble. We need somebody with a cell phone at the back. Um, and no one will laugh at you. Yeah, You can be large. You can be really unathletic. You will probably get a bigger round of applause when you finish than the person who finished first. Yes. And we, uh, particularly, er everyone's equal in parkrun. So we actually call them first finisher and last finisher. There's no, so big deal. So you ran 15 minutes and you were quick. Well done. Yeah. But uh, I mean, if I think of one parkrun, Masha Shing parkrun, Leidenberg parkrun, a couple of years ago, I think I finished second finisher or something. And I've been finished for a long time. I'm standing around at the finish and this large lady crossed the line and she punched the air as she crossed the line. I said, why are you so happy? She said, because I broke an hour for the first time in my life. Is that so? Now an hour, as you know, is not going to give anyone in Nairobi a sleepless night. Yeah, <laughs> keep safe. He's not going to have a sleepless <laughs> night when he can do 12 and a half minutes. But, but the point is for her, it was a massive barrier. Yeah. And she'd broken it. Yeah. And I remember we were milling around afterwards having breakfast or coffee and she came up to me and she said, I'm giving myself three months and I'm going to break 45 minutes. Is that so? Yeah. So for her, that was huge. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's all relative. Uh, yeah, it's all. And I've been injured. Uh, I've been injured at times and I've walked with the tunnies and the slow people at the back and it's fantastic. Yeah. Talk away and we wave and we enjoy it. I've always said that, that, that running has, for me, felt like the hope of South Africa. And I've always said that Comrades Marathon is South Africa at its best because at that start line, you don't see black, white, colored Indian. You don't see male, female. You are it's completely unaware of age. There's no reference to a person's net wealth. It, it, no. Everyone is on an equal thing and everyone is totally terrified because you're facing this monster. And, and the crowd support and the television support, if, if one could take a teaspoon of comrades' medicine and give that to every South African, we would revolutionize this country. It, it, it would be completely, I mean, it would be wonderful. It's just everybody striving together, everybody helping. Look, in the front, I mean, then it's competitive. Sure. But that still doesn't mean that if a runner I'm running alongside and he grabs a sponge and he drops a sponge, 
I'm going to let him, I will hand my one to him, you know, as yeah. well. So there's a lot of that kind of, there's a lot of that in the front. Um, but most of the way through the race, everybody's got the common enemy and that's the stopwatch, you know, that's the clock. Yes. They're trying to get in before that and they're helping each other do that. So yeah. if we could just learn from that as a nation, I mean, we'd be uh, we'd world class. We'd be unbeatable. It would revolutionize yeah. us yeah. completely. Every politician should be forced to come and <laughs> run comrades. In fact, it, it reminds me because I'm an Apollo nut. I love the Apollos because I was uh, lucky enough to see them at the, the, the televised uh, content when South Africa didn't have television at the planetarium. But uh, Apollo 14, Edgar Mitchell, was standing on the moon. He looked back at the earth rising above the moon, this blue, this blue marble, yeah. beautiful blue marble in this in this complete sea of inky black and he said every politician should stand where i stand and look back at earth they will never steal again yeah there we go (laughs) they will never steal again and they will never do anything that will harm the planet because you look at that thing and it's all we've got and there's no borders and so the same with comrades if every politician was forced even just to do the first 10 k's you know yes Make it an uprun so they hurt a bit. So they- <laughs> There's 10Ks of uprun is straight up. <laughs> but and then they would understand. Uh, you're too busy stealing. Yeah. And, and the start of comrades is like nothing else on earth. Well, yeah. I mean, Such I've, I've run. Moment. I've been fortunate enough to run most of the world's big races. Um, and some of them, you know, they're all magnificent. They're mm. all exciting. I've done London. Uh, Boston is particularly a moving start. Uh, Berlin, uh, New York, they're all, I mean, New York starts with Frank Sinatra singing, you know, start spreading yeah. the news. I want to be a part of it. New York. So that's, that's incredible. But comrades, if you speak to the overseas runners who come, they say it's just, that's it with the Shosha Laws and the national anthem and Max Trimborn's Cockle yes. Crow and Chariots of Fire. There's no start like that. Um, and because un, Unlike the, the other major races, which are all standard marathons, Comrades is the only ultra that stands in amongst them as a kind of as an equal. Well, maybe the two oceans as well, but Comrades is the only ultra. So when that starts, you know, this is not some funny little flat marathon around a, a major capital of yeah. the world. Yeah. I can die today. <laughs> this, yes. is, this, is, this is life-changing and tough, and I'm going to have to dig very deep. And I always say... To comrades runners when you're out there especially to novices and i've started my book with that i've actually had the, my book i've dedicated to all the novices and i've said when you're out there with 30 to go you're going to meet somebody that you deeply admire and deeply respect and that person is yourself mm. because you're going to be the only person who can get you through those last 30 because the last 30 are really where where you're going to have to that's deep. yeah i would say the last 30 30 to go is a lonely place yes yes Thoughts, comrades, 2021? I know it's very, very early days, but, but, um, uh, and Ashworth is looking really, really strong. Obviously, Hadda is, is. Yeah, what, what I love about it is that you started off straight away with the ladies' race. And mm. I think when, uh, you were chatting to me because a huge change in the comrades is that, um, the ladies' race for many, for a few years was kind of like an afterthought and I'm not being sexist but it just was but first of all in my early days there were only about four ladies running yes you know um, 
their athletic performances were admirable, but they weren't world class. And suddenly the race, the women have gripped this race and it's fascinating. I mean, if you go back, um, the end of the Nogalieva twins era, yeah. that was Ellie Greenwood. And that in itself was quite remarkable to see this woman from Canada go straight past them both in the last four Ks. Um, and, but since then, every single year has been a different women's winner. Yes. Um, and all of them really, really great athletes, great times, exciting racing, great tactics. Um, all of them great ambassadors, charming, attractive, wonder, you know, and, and wow, I don't know, 2021, it, it's the same story. It's, uh, yeah. the ladies race is more interesting, which doesn't mean that, you know, Bong Musa and David Khatebi and, and Ludwig Mamabola and them aren't putting on great races. Yeah. But just at the moment, the women seem to be, yeah, in the, in the spotlight more. And the fact that you started off by saying, you know, the ladies race, uh, I, I, I mean, I think at the moment, Pcheda is looks awesome, but Anne ran a very great time the last down run. So it's going to be fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Will Caroline and come back? would be going for his fourth, fourth win. win. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you'd be joining Alan Robb with four four wins. Yeah, and and um, Johnny Hubbelstadt, the fastest runner ever to to not win a comrades. Nearly the fastest runner oh, the to fastest. not win. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a good point. Yeah, I know because of course Alberto did win it, and yeah, probably. The, I think the the most talented runner, the most brilliant runner, not to win the comments. And people who who don't remember Johnny in the 1980s, he won every single race in South Africa yes. of any status. So two oceans, the old Corky Marathon. Uh, in any race you, you care to mention. And then the, the South African championships he won. You know, 10Ks, the old uh, 15Ks, the old 16Ks, the half marathon, cross country, marathon, all of those. Yeah. I don't even have a single bronze medal from an SA championship, <laughs> not even a team medal from an SA championship. And Johnny came with all those. And also when he was a student in the States, he was third in Boston. He won the NC AAA's 10,000 meters and he broke four minutes for the mile is that so? everything that you could want on your cv except he didn't win comrades he's two off. second places goodness yeah man, so he virtually i think he's the best runner maybe not the fastest runner, the best runner ever to come to comrades and not win yes yes but two second places are still is still yeah yeah, yeah. phenomenal all right oh, bruce thank you so much um bruce people interested in park run where where would they head to get more information oh you just go parkrun.com Run. click on the south african flag yes uh register print your barcode so the the single biggest criminal offense and a reason for bringing the death penalty back <laughs> is to actually um is to is to forget your barcode and it's an in, interesting execution because when you forget your barcode you will be the one who will kill yourself because it's so horrific to run a park run and not have your barcode yes. so yeah, and then you just go, and, and there's 230 growing. Um, uh, we're getting bigger and bigger. So you have to be in a really remote place to not have a park run fairly close to you. Yeah. Um, and then there's the fun of traveling. You know, wherever you are, you can run a yes. park run. Of course, and now it's global and it's expanding all the time. I think one of the great signs of the recognition of park run is from now on, whenever there is a world championships anywhere in the world, they will start a park run in that country. So that's something that is left behind as a result of that world champs. Just so amazing. Hungary, 
is not a parkrun country, but they're about to host the world champs. Yes. There will be a parkrun in Hungary as a result straight after that. It's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and in South Africa, yeah, we just so excited everywhere from the beaches to the mountains to the townships to the cities, everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's such a... It's such a fun thing to do. Well, listen, I wish you all the best with your book coming out and Parkrun, the dreams of seeing this thing travel through Africa. Um, and and as, as you say, part of your legacy, which is already set in, 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 in stone, but, but this thing's just going to grow. And, and, and thank you so much for being on this. No, thank so you. It was a lot of time. fun. Thanks. Thanks, Mike.